Great to see you this morning. Thank you for coming here today. I noticed there are some um, faces that we've not seen before and it's so lovely to have you visiting here with us today. And a special welcome also to all of those who are gathered online and are joining us this morning from various houses and various parts across the country on live stream. Well, we've been working our way for a little while now, for a number of weeks, uh, through Paul's letter in the New Testament to the Ephesian church. And uh, we're going to continue on that and, uh, and for a few more weeks yet. But uh, the, uh, today, I think, is week eight in our series of studies. And it's a really, truly wonderful letter. And uh, Paul moves in the first three chapters from quite mind-stretching theology to um, the chapters 4, 5, and 6, which are focused really on very practical, down-to-earth living as Christians and what it is like to live the Christian life. I said last week that uh, chapters 1 to 3 that we've uh, taken time to study through are focused on our riches in Christ, of who we are as Christians, and chapters 4 to 6 about our responsibilities as living as Christians. In chapters 1 to 3, Paul tells us about God's new society, God's new society, the church, his people who have been called to himself. And then in chapters 4 through to 6, about the new standards that God expects for his new society. At the start of chapter 4, and please, if you've got your Bibles with you, then Please open them if you're taking notes. That's absolutely great. It might help you when you come to your life groups uh, this week uh, to remember some of the things that we talked about this morning. But um, hopefully if the technology is working, we will put some verses up on screen as well for you. The beginning of chapter 4, we had those great words from Paul that we are to live the life worthy of our calling. To live a life worthy of our calling. And that basically means that we are to walk our talk. And that Paul then shows us some very, very practical ways in which we are to do that. That we are to live in unity, live in purity, live in harmony, and also live in victory. And we're going to explore these uh, subjects also over the next few weeks. Now, conventional wisdom can often be stated in the form of catchy sayings. And I'm going to ask you to help me out here. I'm going to start the say and see if you can remember it or if you know it, okay? They're not difficult. Okay, here goes. First one. If you give him an inch, he will... Oh, right, okay, good. Two wrongs don't make a right. It's a very sort of muffled kind of response that I'm getting here behind your face masks. If you lay down with the dogs... You'll smell funny. <laughs> <laughs> says Dan, and that's not the right answer, Dan. <laughs> if you lay down with the log, dogs, um, you'll get up with fleas. That's okay, I'd not heard of that one either. God helps those. Cleanliness is... Very good. Don't get mad. Get even. In fact, somebody's improved that saying uh, by changing it slightly. It says, don't get even, get ahead. When in Rome... That's right. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. Now, all of these sayings are conventional wisdom. 
But Christians are not called to live by conventional wisdom. We are actually called to live by God's wisdom. And sometimes God's wisdom and conventional wisdom, they are very, very different. If you have your Bibles, read it later. James chapter 3. James chapter 3, he speaks of two kinds of wisdom. He speaks of an earthly wisdom and a heavenly wisdom, or a wisdom from below and a wisdom from above. Take, for example, the saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. On the surface, it seems like a very reasonable statement. We are encouraged to blend in. Don't swim against the tide. Don't go against the flow. Actually, go with the flow and you will remain popular. But the problem is that God often calls Christians to go against the flow and to make a stand and to be different and live according to the wisdom of God, not necessarily according to conventional wisdom. And that is what our passage is all about this morning. Okay? Right, if you've got your Bibles, uh, chapter 4, verse 17. Have we got the screen working? Yes, great. Verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Now, Paul uses the word here, Gentile, on this occasion to refer to the wayward practices of unbelievers in the ancient Greek and Roman worlds, people in his time. It was a society in which everything went. Everything went. Nothing was out of bounds. Nothing was really truly regarded as sacred. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he writes well, some well-known words. And he says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So don't conform, but be transformed. In other words, don't let others who are living around you mould you into the living the kind of lives that they are living. Instead, be distinctive. If you are Christians, if you are God's people, be distinctive. Dare to be different. Choose to honour God rather than merely reflect the lives of those round about you. Do you know what? Being a Christian is far more than coming to church on a Sunday morning. Although it's not a bad start, actually. But it's more than that. It's a matter of living a transformed life. That we can either cooperate with the Holy Spirit who is living within us, or we can resist him and reject his work in our lives. And Paul is saying here, don't live your lives as the secular world lives. Don't go back to your old ways. But rather, remember that you are children of the light, and therefore live as children of the light. And then Paul goes on to tell them in exactly what he means in some very practical, down-to-earth ways. I don't know about you, but Paul is a bit complicated on times, isn't he? Do you ever feel that? I do. I'm thinking, what, what's the man getting at now? What's he talking about? But then there are other times that we might wish that he wasn't quite so direct. <laughs> 
And one of those, perhaps, is this morning in our reading. Verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, the concept which Paul is giving here is quite straightforward, really. What he is saying is that your old life is just like a dirty, dirty garment. And what you need to do with that dirty garment is to take it off and to replace it with a new garment, that garment of the righteousness which is in Christ. So take off, put off, and put on. And that's what Paul is saying here. Now, many of you, I know, will know that great story in John's Gospel, the story of Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, Lazarus had been dead for four days when Jesus arrived in his town of Bethany. Even Martha, Lazarus's sister, um, said that uh, Lazarus had been dead uh, for four days and, and the body would be smelly by now. But then Jesus spoke to four days dead Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come out. And then we read that this four days dead Lazarus did as he was told. And it was quite an amazing sight. And John tells us in his gospel, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off his grave clothes and let him go. And when I was reading that passage this week, that really captured my attention. You see, Lazarus no longer belonged to the old dominion of death. He was now alive. And since he was alive, he didn't need to wear those grave clothes anymore. And Paul's argument is something very similar to that in his writings here in Ephesians chapter 4. He is speaking to those Christians in the first century in Ephesus and also Christians of all ages, Christians today in 2021 in Tamworth. And the illustration is is good. Take off the grave clothes. Take off that person that you once used to be before God came into your life. That person has changed. This is what you were once like. This is what you were like when you were spiritually dead. But now you have become alive in Christ. You're not that person anymore. Take off those decaying, rotting garments and put on clothes which are from a new wardrobe the wardrobe of Christ, garments of righteousness. And basically what Paul is saying is that, there is that you cannot become a follower of Jesus and stay as you once were. You don't join the Labour Party and still vote for Boris. I'm not going any further than that. Or you don't join the Conservatives and vote for Keir Starmer. Similarly, you don't become a follower of Jesus and follow your old ways of life, especially if those ways dishonour your new master. And then Paul, this is quite wonderful actually, because you know we've been in the great heights of this amazing, awesome theology, trying to get our heads around the, the words of Paul, and then he is so practical and so down to earth in what he says next. In verse 25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. 
Now, there are all sorts of different ways in which we can lie. You know, we all know about the bare-faced lie, where, which is a deliberate intention to deceive others. But we can lie in other ways as well. For example, by exaggeration, that embellishing, enhancing, embroidering the truth. Then there's the written lie, possibly on the tax form, for example, or the lie which is committed by only telling half the truth so that the other person, the person that you are speaking to, gets a, a biased, a wrong understanding of some person or some situation. But Paul, irrespective of which kind of, whichever kind of lie he, they were speaking about, Paul, in his usual forthright manner, just says, tell the truth, tell the truth. And then he continues. I say this is very, very practical stuff. Verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Do you notice there that Paul doesn't say, don't be angry. He says, in your anger, do not sin. He doesn't say, don't be angry. Because we know that not all anger is sinful. Do you remember the time that Jesus was in the, the, the temple? And he saw what the money lenders were doing in exploiting worshippers in that temple and Jesus knocked a few tables over and he got rid of the jolly lot of them we all know that story there's an anger which is actually a righteous anger and if we are not angry at injustice poverty prejudice and inequality in our world then I would suggest that we are not truly looking through the eyes of Jesus and sometimes I think that we as Christians can be a little bit too tame. My word, that's a provocative statement, if there ever was one. We can be a little bit too agreeable, too courteous, too nice. But there are times, I believe, that anger is the right and proper response. Certainly when we see injustice um, and inequality in our world. And Paul continues in this uh, practical list of putting off things and putting on things in verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must, not, must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with it, their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Just like lying, stealing can also take many, many different forms. There's the obvious, the, the hand in the till scenario. But there are other ways that we can steal as well. We can steal by not doing a full day's work for our employer. We can steal by overquoting for that job. We can steal by exaggerating that insurance claim or by copying a friend's homework. Do that at university in your failure course. It's called plagiarism. But notice again what Paul is doing here. This whole idea of putting off something and putting on something else. And I would suggest to you that the Christian life is not all about the negative. And sometimes the way that people proclaim the Christian life, you would think that it is. It's a matter of, ah, now you've become a Christian. Ah, you must now no longer do X, Y, or Z. Well, in a sense, there is a, a, a kind of a truth behind that. But that's only half a truth. It's also the positive side. Now that you're a Christian, you are free in order to do a, B, and C. And this is what Paul is actually saying here. He's saying, if you're saved, then don't steal any longer. But there's also a positive message here. Actually work for a living. 
Do something useful. Don't doss around any longer. And make sure that you share your wealth with those who haven't got anything. I was reading this again this week. It's a, it's a, it's a great passage, this. As I say, it's incredibly practical. And I noticed the things that we are not told in this passage. We're not told he who has been stealing should pray about it. We're not told that. We're not told he who is stealing should get some Christian counselling for that. We're not told he who has been stealing should get some self-help lessons. Sometimes I think that we can do it, be a little bit too spiritual for our own good. Paul says he who has been stealing, steal no longer. Don't pray about it. Don't get Christian counselling for it necessarily. And sometimes we can do those things. You know, please, I'm not against prayer. I wouldn't want you to think that for a moment. In fact, I think prayer is the most wonderful gift. But we're not told to pray about it. We're told to just do it. I think Christian counselling is absolutely fantastic. And we've had a fantastic uh, Christian counsellor serving our uh, church for many, many years. It's wonderful. I'm not decrying that for a moment. You see, when it comes to living a life that is pleasing to God, I don't think that we need to actually pray about that or get counselling for it. We just stop doing displeasing things to God and do things which are honouring to God. We're not feeble pawns unable to help ourselves, yielding to every temptation. But the Christian, and Paul has told us this on a number of occasions, the Christian is one who has received the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence to live within us. And we so love singing that song, don't we, on a Sunday? The same power that conquered the grave lives in me. And the truth of that, if that is true, changes absolutely everything. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So again, what Paul is saying in a very practical down-to-earth way is stop talking about stuff that is distasteful and disagreeable and objectionable and offensive. Treat each word that comes out of your mouth as a gift from God. That's essentially what he's saying there. Say things to others which are productive and fruitful and encouraging. Build people up. And before you speak, think. Now the word think is a, is a wonderful acronym for what we need to be doing. Take each of the letters of the word think and ask, is it T, is it true? H, is it helpful? Is it, I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? And K, is it kind? Use that if it's of help to you. Think. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And we can use our tongues to be constructive or destructive, to build up or to tear down, to encourage or to discourage, to revitalize or to dishearten. And the bottom line in all of this are we blessing God by our lives as children of the light? Or 
Are we grieving him? And then in verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, an unforgiving spirit really is playing into the, the devil's hands. You know, if someone hurts us, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, and if we do not forgive that person, then what happens is that we develop a, a bitterness within our hearts, and that bitterness takes a hold of us, and we become hardened, and we become callous, and we lose that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And through not forgiving the other person, we're not doing anything to hurt them in a, in a sense, but all we are doing is hurting ourselves. What we are doing is allowing that other person to live rent-free in our heads. And when that bitterness takes root, we become thoroughly miserable. There's an old Chinese saying that says, um, all seems yellow to the jaundiced eye. <laughs> all seems yellow to the jaundiced eye. Well, I think that's so true, isn't it, really? And it's never really the way for a Christian person. And the Christian is one who always needs to forgive and to make allowances for, other, uh, for others. And Paul says here, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. What an incredible statement that is. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So in which way am I to forgive others? I am to forgive others just in the same way that God has forgiven me through Christ. In which way did he forgive me through Christ? Well, firstly, he forgave me even though I didn't deserve anything from him. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Because sometimes we withhold forgiveness to other people because we feel they do not deserve it. Well, I didn't deserve it either, and neither did you. And Christ forgave us. And secondly, he did it willingly at a great cost to himself. And forgiveness is always at a cost. It's at the cost of not getting even. It's at the cost of not settling accounts. It's at the cost of not getting your own back. It's at the cost of becoming vulnerable. It's at the potential cost of further rejection. But it's worth it. It's worth it because if we don't sort it out, it will cost us something else. It will cost us our peace. And it will cost us that ongoing relationship with the Lord. Well, we are done. It's a very, very practical passage, this. We've had the amazing theology of chapters 1 to 3. But this is uh, quite different from anything that we've done in recent weeks. Paul's words are, are godly words. They're words which are full of practical wisdom that we are to live as children of the light. If we have been called to himself, if we have been called out of this world to be his special people, his church, then we are also called to live our lives in a worthy fashion of that calling. Not to embrace values or culture uh, of the world around us, which so often leaves God out of the picture. And to use those words of Jesus again, that we need to take off the, the grave clothes, put on garments of righteousness, that we might be 
both children of light and also agents in his kingdom in this world. Shall we pray together? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the amazing, wonderful, down-to-earth, practical wisdom of the Apostle Paul, uh, the Christian instruction on how to live our lives as children of light. And Lord, this morning, we just pray for ourselves first and foremost. We pray, Lord, that this week, in your strength and by your grace, that we might live lives which are acceptable and honouring to Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. And uh, our guys are going to lead us in our final song this morning in Christ alone. Is that right? Okay, great. Maybe you'd like to stand. Thank you.